welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. Hey Jack, welcome to the MindChimp Podcast. How are we doing? I'm doing well, Danny. How are you, mate? I'm wonderfully well, my friend. Wonderfully well. Um, let me set the scene for you. So I've just, well, I've kind of got new mic and stuff and I've decorated mm-hmm. my office. Um, however, there is a, there's an echo in my room. So I've had to buy a unit, take the drawers out of mm-hmm. this unit, put this <laughs> unit where my mic is, and put a quill over it all just to kind of kill the echo. So if you want to talk about bootstrapping and, and doing kind of, you know, being innovative, there you go, my friend, there you go. But anyway, this isn't about me and my just office. Like a den. Exactly, yeah. It takes me back to being a kid, right? Exactly. This is about you though, Jack, not about me and my office and my echo. So, Jack, usually I ask the um my guests to kind of um yeah, summarize ourselves with their log line. Can you remember what yours was? Yeah, so when you got me to do this, the first thing I had to do was Google what's a log line. Uh, so that sent me down a bit of a, a learning route anyway. So look, mine, mine was uh, a person with a passion for people and performance and trying to avoid all the well-laid traps and pitfalls of this sort of confused and comfortable industry. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that in just a second. Um, be, but before we do, two more questions. One. Um, I need you to pick four numbers for me, please, from one to a hundred. Okay. Six. Yep. 26. Yep. 29. Okay. 87. Perfect. We will come back to them a little bit later on down the line. So before we get into kind of Jack and where Jack's at right now, when you was in school, Jack and a teacher say, Jack, what is it you want to be when you grow old? older i keep saying older having older but what is it when you be when you when you grow older what is it you would say to that teacher oh so i had this really weird hybrid of wanting to be a footballer for coventry city so i'd obviously set my uh my hopes really high uh, to begin with already and a chef and i think i wanted to do them both at the same time which might be why i've achieved neither of them um but yeah my my godfather was a, a chef and i think i had a, a thing for that from an early age so yeah, a weird hybrid of footballer chef. Maybe there's still a future for that. We just we just haven't seen it yet. So there you go. Maybe we've just laid out your best Sunday plan. League, Sunday league footballer chef, maybe, but that's about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so kind of let's let's jump into who you are. So I guess you know we know we know who we are through the group, community, and whatever else. But maybe from a for my uh, from a guess who don't know who you are, maybe you could give us a bit of a whistle stop tour and kind of tell us about where you've come from. And, in, yeah, and and probably in your career just now, but where you come from to kind of where you are right now? Yeah, of course. So look, Jack Locker, I'm currently a, a learning consultant with, with Virgin Media. Uh, so I've been there since January 2018. Uh, before that, I'd spent five years working for the Training Foundation or, or TAP, as people uh, might know it, but in a sales capacity or, or kind of like sort of hybrid sales, marketing, sort of a bit of everything uh, capacity. And before that, uh, sort of nine, 10 months in recruitment. So that's been my career coming out of uh, university, which came with a history and politics degree. So obviously I've ended up, uh, obviously ended up where, where I am now. But my journey has been a bit different to, to people. I know we'll probably explore that a little bit um, through, through this session. But a lot of people fall into L&D where I maybe sort of actively chose to, to do it. And there's a few reasons for that. So yeah, that that's my whistle stop tour so far that I'm sure there are a lot more stops to go in the future. Yeah, definitely. I would agree on that. So maybe, so maybe kind of 
break down your, your your tagline for me and kind of why why you went with that one. Yeah, so the that passion for for people and performance came from uh, a time when it's coming up nearly on five years since I since I had the surgery for it, but I ruptured my cruciate ligament, um, and at a time probably wasn't in such a good space mentally and and self confidence and so on. Uh, and it became a bit of a journey on the back of that um, through through some of the the treatment that I had that, that got me into personal uh, got me into personal development. And then it's that second part around those sort of well laid traps, those pitfalls of this industry. And and we spend a lot of time moaning about what the industry is like or all these things that are wrong with it. And I challenge and debate sometimes what people are doing to to stand up and make a change of it or, or what they're doing to allow themselves to get caught in it. So I'm trying to weave this career while trying to avoid all the things that people have got caught up, uh, up in before so yeah it's a uh, sometimes it's it's running around bear traps but look it's absolutely worth it absolutely worth it okay so so how did you manage to do do your kind of your your ligament trying to chase being a uh, a footballer for coventry city probably no look it's just it's a sunday league football game um foot got caught in the ground someone's charged in no one's meant to, to cause anyone any harm and it's just happened um so so yeah uh ruptured cruciate ligament supposed to be a nice easy surgery back in in four weeks and it took about sort of four and a half months actually with with complications that happened on the back of it and and treatment that happened on the back of it and that sort of set me down a bit of a challenging route mentally and um, physically so it really came from there that that's where a lot of that came from all right okay so i, I kind of snapped well snapped both my acls um, in my knees so I can kind of semi feel your pain in a way um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you kind of talk about actually before we actually do that can you remember what the weather was like on that day yeah I can so it was it was March it was like the 21st or 22nd it was actually quite a nice day um, a bit of a, a breeze I can remember exactly where it was I can remember exactly um, what goal it was in I can remember who we were playing I can remember it was a quarter final of a cup I remember trying to come back on because we'd run out of substitutes and I could run in a straight line, went to turn after 10 yards and just hit the deck. And that's when I knew that something just, just wasn't right there. I thought it was a dead leg, first of all. So yeah, I remember lots about it. I remember the emotions more than, than anything. And that's obviously where we get a lot of our memories from anyway. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of why I asked that question. It's interesting, right? You know, if, if you didn't do your cruciate ligament, that would have just been like an any over average kind of, any over average kind of day. And this is kind of the things where yeah. I'm talking about when I talk about experience design and, and kind of actually your experiences shape good experiences or bad experiences mm-hmm. shape memory and memory requires recall and whatnot so it's really interesting i just wanted to see if you could actually remember the, the kind of yeah the mm-hmm. weather and the day so mm-hmm. kind of talk about this 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 kind of um the, the mental well-being and stuff as i know that's kind of important to you personally um yeah. but yeah maybe maybe talk about kind of that as a challenge and, and kind of I mean, you know, be as be as detailed or as as light as you want. Yeah, on this. yeah. So the, the the first time I realised that maybe my mind wasn't where I wanted it to be was when I, my behaviours and the way I spoke became quite clinical, uh, and that was and when I say clinical, I mean terminology short, fast, and and so on. And that was because I'd, I was spending sort of every day or every other day going back to a hospital, dressings changed, checking infection levels, whatever it might be. And that was because I'd ended up, I'd had to be sat on a, a settee for sort of about two, two and a half months when when th- this thing wasn't healing. And, and it was at that point that 
I have to, I do what, um, I did what we try and encourage a lot of people to, to do now and sort of turn around to my, my mom and dad and said, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And I think I need to go and have a conversation with someone. Uh, so went to my GP. The GP knows that when I book in or any of my family book in, it ain't because we've got a cold. Um, so he, he said, look, you're a young, healthy, you're a young, healthy lad. I could prescribe you things. I think there's something else that we can do. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to prescribe you something called CBT. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds like a tablet to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, yeah, you know, uh, got a referral and, and ended up uh, sitting with a, a lady who, who described to me what the CBT was. And it was cognitive behavioral therapy. And it was about how you change your, your thoughts or how you recognize your thoughts and what you can do with them. Then that was the, the first time that I'd realized that maybe I was, I had control over what I was thinking at any one time. And I was, you know, at the time, uh, uh, sort of a, a usual 22, 22 year old lad out most weekend drinking this and the other and, and having this personal persona and a professional persona. And I've realized it just wasn't particularly healthy for me. Um, so that CBT had a couple of sessions that that was my first real um, recognition of what development can do for you and how powerful development is um, for people. Uh, and it's always been a challenge that sort of anxiety is always sat there at times. It's triggered by other things. Uh, and where it was sort of most recently triggered was when I went into this, this new role last year, I took a, a leap out of sales into learning and development into a more senior L and D role and imposter syndrome sort of came knocking. Mm. Um, so and it wasn't until March this year uh, that I just, said it can take a, a hike actually and there's no such thing for me as, as imposter syndrome and I'm going to act as if I don't have that kind of thing so so yeah it's one of these things that I think is constantly there it's a it's quite a neutral term your your mental health it can be in a good state a poor state or sort of a neutral state and that was it for me that was that turning point and I look back on it now and realize that that introduction to CBT without that introduction to CBT and cognitive behavioral therapy I probably wouldn't be having this conversation with you now. I probably wouldn't have wanted to get into LND. I probably wouldn't have gone on to do mentoring with the Prince's Trust or, or things like that, where I wanted to help other people and develop other people. So, so kind of, obviously, you you, you kind of dumped into how, how how important it is with you and stuff. But mm-hmm. and talks about kind of your role, which I kind of will get into in just a sec. But kind of yeah. how are you? So obviously, we know it's important, definitely. But how are you bringing mm-hmm. this into your? Maybe it's into the your 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 company's culture and and actually how are you and maybe you're not you know maybe you're not maybe you are but kind of how are you making this more to light it's really interesting that you talk about kind of you know it's you know it's okay to say i need to talk so how how are you making that more bringing that more to life in maybe in your day-to-day and then in your company's kind of culture yeah so look company culture wise we're probably seeing a lot of the same things as, as other businesses. Mental health is becoming more of a, a challenge for, for everyone and, uh, and absence is coming on the, off the back of it. And, and where my challenge is, I'm trying to work out, is that necessarily a bad thing or is it now because we're recognising it more and we have to sort of expect that there's a spike coming from it? So we have, we have a lot of programmes that, that support that manager support and so on. Where I'm bringing it to my day-to-day is that I recognise when I was struggling, I still used to say I was okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm great. I'm doing this, that, and the other. And, and when I hear that for the people, I sort of don't take that as the answer anymore, Dan, to be honest. If, if people say, oh, yeah, I'm okay. I say, oh, what's okay about it then? Because okay is a bit sort of in the middle. What's yeah. okay about it? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Oh, really? Well, what's, what's just good about it? Because good's a bit of a 
sort of an in the middle world. What, what specifically is good about it? And, and it's opening up that initial conversation after that good, fine, okay, or that, you know, that B word, the busy word. We yeah. all sort of seem to use now. We're all sort of busy. Okay, I'm busy. Well, great. Tell me what you're busy with because it's going to be different to what I'm busy with. And you can begin to open up conversations and just have a sort of a ritual at that, that sort of second level conversation. First level is okay, fine, busy or whatever. That second level is actually really what's going on for you, what's specifically going on. So that's what I, I try and bring to my my day to day. Don't get it perfect. There are times when I will just say, I'm okay, fine, good. And then realize afterwards, actually, that was probably an opportunity to open up a bit of a conversation with people. So so I guess kind of talking about, you know, your culture and stuff, maybe maybe you could share to us, Jack, a little bit about what what actually a day looks like in the life of, of Jack. And maybe, yeah, it can be personal, professional, questions all applied to yeah. that. Some will be kind of, sometimes throughout this, you'll probably get bounced by lots of questions. That's kind of what I want. But yeah, what's what does a day look like in Jack's life? So, so from a personal perspective, and this is where people go, Jesus, do you really do that? My alarm probably goes off around five o'clock in the morning. Uh, and that's just because that's my time to get up and, and do me. So you'll often just find me sat in the front room or if I'm in a hotel traveling, just reading. Uh, so last year, as I saw published, I got through 53 books last year. And that was because um, university battered the enjoyment of reading out for me. Here's mm. a list of things you must read and here's what you must cover. Like, oh, no, I don't enjoy this anymore. So, so last year was my getting back into to reading. So that's what you find me doing or personal development or courses or whatever it might be. That That is my time. Um, what does a normal day look in? Well, I'd, I'd love to know what a normal day looks like, Danny. Uh, to, to be honest, it's four hats though. So it, it could be a mixture of delivery. So delivering a, a, you know, a curriculum of courses that, that we have within Virgin Media, very much around sort of personal development skills, management skills, that, that's the area where I focus in. Uh, there's an element of consultancy, so consulting with parts of the different parts of the business, what problems they might have or perceived problems, so we can probably talk a bit about that. An element of digital, so we have a, a, an internal platform that we've, we've sort of built instead of bought in um, as well. So building pages on that, building sort of web and digital pages in that so people can access it across the the company and then a sort of a design and development element to it as well so a curriculum that, that we create but also projects that we might be working on so any week i'm sort of wearing one or multiple or all of those four hats in some form of order in some part of the country so as we speak i'm in belfast uh, no i'm not i'm in limerick i was in belfast yesterday <laughs> um that's it i've, I've been i've been on a, a train i took this belfast to limerick gig thinking there was a flight between belfast and shannon there wasn't it's a train or drive so yeah the, the, these are all the things you, you'll find me wearing those four hats at some point at some place across the uk and ireland that's as best as i can describe it fair enough fair enough so it's interesting that you've kind of gone with um Build, building your own platform rather than kind of bringing one in so so obviously be mindful of what you can and what you can't share but yeah, what course, eh? what 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 kind of made the business go towards that and and yeah what what does that look like now and, and actually kind of what benefit is it bringing to your users and to you as yeah. a maybe a designer or whatever or your designers yeah so so it, it's a We've got the LMS that's in there, obviously. We have that for, for tracking, compliance, modules, etc. And then we've got this, this other platform that, that we've got that just houses a lot of 24-7 available digital content. So some, you know, some stuff that we have built internally, maybe some uh, cat, uh, you know, off-the-shelf um, items from, from other people. And the idea is that actually in the past, everything was quite um, 
in pockets across the business, maybe depending on where you were in the business and so on. The, the idea was to create this central repository, central platform where people could come and interact and then find their way to the LMS if they needed to, to, to book onto things. The reason to build it in-house, I'd, ha I'd have to go back. So it sort of existed before, before I came, but I think it was very much around the flexibility. We're lucky enough to have sort of a multimedia team uh, that sit in-house with web designers in there, app developers and so on. So yeah, I, th I think that, I think the, it was taken, the idea was taken that we could have a bit more flexibility building that ourselves and we have the skills in-house to, to do it. So yeah, lucky in that respect. Awesome. Awesome. So, so have you kind of, obviously, I'm just trying to think kind of how, how has it been felt by, how has it been felt and how has it been seen by your, your users, your people? Have you had any kind of feedback to say, you know, actually this is exactly what we want or is it kind of just gone off a yeah. good feeling or? Yeah, a, a, a bit of everything. And, and this is where I get to sort of come in as the, the fresh face last year and, and begin to, to, to question how we do things, why we do things, how can we do things things differently. So like any company, you'll find the people that have never heard of it. You'll find the people that will always go to it. You, you'll, you'll find the people that sit in the middle. And you have to have all of those kind of people for it to, to happen. I, I, I think personally, like anything, you know, as we talk about the skill, the other skills we should need now as LMB professionals, all that toolkit, and it's very much about communicating. So, you know, people have got the, the ability. It's, a, it's an icon on their desktop that they can click. They, some of them just have never clicked or don't know why it's there. It sits alongside other things. So for me, it's very much about, you know what, the platform is really useful. How do we communicate? How do we buy people in to, to want to use it, not to have to use it? So I think, yeah, a, a lot of where my focus wants to be and, and hopefully second half of this year is how we encourage people to come to that, how we check if people are, you know, what, what are the things we want to measure that sits, sit in the background of that? How do we leverage things like Google Analytics to really show why people are coming, where they're coming from, how long they're spending, why they spend, is that how long we want them to, to spend on pages and, uh, and so on. So that, that for me is where I think we, we've got a great opportunity to, to look at it. And it just so happens to be the kind of stuff that I really want to get into as well. So yeah, two, two things that seem to be coming together. Oh, cool. Cool. So it's interesting kind of, and and some of these questions, like I say, Jack, you know, take them as personal, professional. But um, okay. you know, it's interesting to hear kind of the the fact that you went from a leap from kind of sales into the, you know, the to where you are now. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, it was interesting. One of the things which I think about is when we go for these interviews, we have to go in and, and sell our best selves and 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 kind of yes, I did this and I did that. And I think actually, mm -hmm. the better question we should be asking is kind of what does your failure CV look like? If I was to ask you to map out your failure CV, what would that look like? You know, we'd learn more from failures than we do from success. So if I was to say to you, Jack, what does your, what would, what does your failure resume look like? And actually what's the biggest failure? What jumps out for you professionally? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's good. So the, the biggest one that I ever classed as a perceived failure was um, when I got made redundant from my first job. In, right. in recruitment so it, yeah, it, it was a change the business was changing I just happened to be the was it it's lasting first out is one way that they do it by two days <laughs> as it so as it so happened but but that for me came as like one, one of those big failures and it had a massive knock on how I then went on to to get into to sales and I think what what that actually did for me was I became sort of this non-typical sales but I, I, I probably wouldn't class myself as those sort of classic skills you'd have for, for sales but what what 
what it ended up teaching me was that sort of inquisitiveness around working with people. Other, other big fails. Oh, crikey. I took I took the entire website down for the training foundation once I just put in the wrong bit of html in because i thought i could do html because i've done myspace before and we could do all those things on myspace i think i just put one letter in the wrong place and uh, and took the entire thing down so that was a, an interesting one for a couple of hours that that definitely took me away from uh from the sales side of things uh, another big fail and uh, one of the ones that really helped me develop my craft as sort of a consultant or as a from the sales side was i went into a meeting completely unprepared I built up this bravado about I can just go into a, a meeting. I can just, you know, oh no, the questions, oh, they'll come off the bat. And it was just a, a flat out abject failure. Like in the end, the, the, the person at the end sort of said, can I give you some feedback on what you've done there? I can sort of see that it wasn't what you wanted to do. So I was getting feedback off <laughs> a potential client at this time, a bit of coaching around what I could do differently next time. It just very much came around preparation. So from then I've always had at least a framework or something of a conversation I want to get very rare you'll find me not have at least two or three questions jotted down even if I've got five minutes notice before going into into somewhere so yeah some some big failures that have then made me rethink how I how I do things I've got a lot of failures to go as well that's that's the best part about it yeah 100% like you know I think having these these mini experiments and these these things where you build them up to see if you fail to see if it's success you know we can mm. talk about actually, oh, what's the outcome? But actually, the first biggest outcome is actually making it into a ex- success. And actually, one of the other great outcomes is it being a failure. It's like it's a win-win, I think, for me. And and personally, you know, I can, I don't see it as a win-win instantly. I, you know, that would be a lie if I say I do. But sometimes you can sit down, you know, a day, day or so, and go actually, while it didn't, you know, while it didn't provide the kind of the perceived success actually what's what like you say what's the stuff what i can take from it and maybe it is a feedback maybe it is like you mentioned you know one of the potential stakeholders giving that feedback and and kind of you know it's interesting you know that that bit of conversation that feedback that'll help shape your future successes and your future failures as well so it's it's always a good thing so so the flip side of this failure cv what's your biggest success in the last 12 months so, so one of my biggest successes in the in the last twelve months, apart apart from landing this job, because we can talk about how ridiculous trying to get recruited into this industry is, because that's a that's a whole <laughs> other thing, and it was subject to my first uh, talk at the at the first Mind Gym event. But it, it was this um, it was becoming the LPI sponsored professional last year, and and the reason is I didn't have the confidence to go. For, I'd just taken a new job. I was just trying to just get by day to day and it was that sort of day before that I, I got the notion from my government say did you end up applying for that thing and I think it was when I ended up getting the feedback it was very much around the, the, the passion you brought so you haven't got the experience we don't expect to have it but you've got this sort of level of passion that we want to try and nurture and, and try and get out of you sort of in the next five months so for me that was a massive success because it was that recognition that you know we can see that you don't have the entire toolkit and that's okay that's great. You've got something that we can mould. I don't think we do enough of that when we're recruiting into this industry. We maybe do that inside our own businesses. People fall into it or, oh, you're quite good at talking to people about it, but you don't often see people look outside to say, who's that person with maybe that little bit of spark that we could we could give the principles of adult learning to. We could build them into being able to go in front of a, a group of people and, and guide them towards a, an outcome. So I think, yeah, that, I think that, that for me was a, 
a real big win and a real big confidence boost for me. Awesome. So, so kind of, it's interesting you mentioned this about kind of, you know, you, you, you kind of see on LinkedIn or wherever kind of, oh, we need to be looking at other industries and stuff like that. And, it, and you know, I'm the first person to shout about that, but it's interesting kind of when we get people in the interview room, so to speak, who are from other industries, how many, how many times that gets kind of, you know, batted down very, very quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but kind of, <clears throat> I'm just kind of reflecting on kind of your, your, your kind of, your, your process and the process, the kind of process what you went through. If, if you were to kind of give some advice to someone and maybe, maybe, yeah, let's pretend there's another Jack out there. Um, and, and they're kind of doing the same thing, same background as you, kind of coming into, into, well, you know, the role what you're in right now. Um, yeah. What bits of advice would you give to them based on the learnings of the journey, what you went through? Yeah, so look, I, I think some of the biggest ones there are, are, are do at least a little bit of, of homework around it. You know, you, you all have heard this in the past and a lot of other people maybe listen to this and say, oh, I'd love to be a trainer because you just sort of stand up and, so talk to me. I'd love that job. And they say, well, what, what is it you'd love about that job? Oh, you, you know, you just you just work with people all day and you sort of stand up and, and do this. So it's probably really understand what the role looks mm-hmm. like. Like I said, sort of five hours on on two trains yesterday and hotel stays, and it's the print, it's the prep, it's the it's the knowing who you're going to be in front of as well. And you know, the amount of work that goes into just being in front of people virtually for an hour or just being in front of people uh, in person for for a day so go and speak to other people that are in the industry that that's my big one and that's why i found myself um getting involved in the uh the mind chimp groups so i remember how do you remember how i ended up in the the group or how i ended up invited to the group um probably not um I, that's okay there's I, a lot I, of people i, I want to i want to <laughs> i want to guess and say you 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 kind of messaged me on linkedin but i think you messaged me on i think someone directed you but I'm not sure. I could be getting mixed up. It was, yeah, it was a while ago. No, no, was like no, two, three no, no, years. no. So, so I was in a ton of LinkedIn groups around learning and everyone was just spamming for their product or sense of stuff. And I put a post on LinkedIn saying, can someone just get me a group where, or a group of like-minded people that aren't trying to sell stuff and are just talking about how to develop themselves and what's really going on in L&D. And either someone copied you into that post or you found it and said, I'll drop you a message. I might have something that, that's of interest to, to you. So that was me going out and trying to seek that information from the industry. So that, that that's number one, be curious about what's out there. Number two is be honest. So like I never went into any of my interviews or my, my tactic all the way through trying to get a foot in the door was never, oh, I've got a bit of industry knowledge from working at the training foundation or whatever. It was, I, I could be your, um, I could be your wild card. You know, I, I got an understanding of it. I've got a passion for it. I just haven't had the opportunity to work in-house um, in house before. And this is where my frustration with, with the whole process came along. People would say, oh, wow, yeah, let's take your past first interview. That's just something we like about you. And then I get to second interview and they'd say, you just haven't got the experience. It's something mm-hmm. we know. Like, that's, why you took me, <laughs> that's why you took me forward. You said I was the wild card. That's how I came. That's how I came in. But also know how people fall into these roles. So if people are ever asking for three to five years experience, you can probably be sure that sometimes a hiring manager hasn't got three to five years experience. They fell into it. They haven't got that experience as well. So sometimes what's being asked for maybe isn't as realistic as it could be. It's ideal. Of course it is. I think my, my, my two big ones that, that I lent on was obviously 
get out there and speak to people and really understand what what it is about it's not just spending some nice time with people there's a hell of a lot more to it a lot of spreadsheets as well <laughs> when it comes to organizing things uh, so if you, if you can't get on the spreadsheet maybe it's not the best place as well uh, and and number two is know what your unique selling and that just sounds really generic but know what your unique selling point is to get in through through that door what what would make you different to everybody that's there what have you researched what are those different skills that you're bringing to the uh, that you are bringing to the floor i i know now if i was in a, a place where i would want to recruit people i'd be like who in the past has done analytics or marketing campaigns or, or working around that how could we get people involved then in creating a campaign of learning i can teach you the learning stuff that, that can be part of your development but it's better if you've got those skills to to do anyway so yeah they're they're, they're my two massive things they're well they're what got me over the line anyway cool Cool. Okay. Sound advice, I think. Sound advice. So if I was to say to you, and and this can be, this what I ask next doesn't have to be a learning specific. It can just be one for mm-hmm. you. But if I was to say to you, give a gift of a book to five people, and maybe it's a gift where it, maybe it's, maybe it's not a gift, you know, a gift what you think everyone should read. Maybe it's one that's actually changed your perception on things. What what book would you give? So, so the one I'll give from a personal perspective is a, quite a small book it's called notes from a friend by tony robbins and um it was a book actually probably this time last year or sometime last year i i I reread it again and it had another profound sort of impact on me it's one of those first books that i read after doing my cognitive behavioral therapy um and it's just it was just so powerful i think i gave away five or six copies to people that um that responded on on linkedin i just wanted people to to have that that kind of thing so maybe i have given that away um to, to, Mm -hmm. to over five people um, and interestingly, this, this, I always end up with this recency bias about the, the, the book that I've read, but I've just read, literally finished this morning, Hans Rosling's Fatfulness. So have you ever watched any of the Hans Rosling videos on like TED or, or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so read, read, his, uh, read his book or the book that was, um, that was released after, after he died. He'd been working on it um, with, his, with, his da- uh, with his son and his, uh, his daughter-in-law, I think. And for me, it's just made me think about actually when we're presented with data, we're presented with facts, we're presented with a specific view, what else sits around it? What are the other angles that we need to look at? Let's not take everything at face value. So there's, a, there's, there's I think there's 10 instincts in there that, that it talks about. And actually there, when you read them, you catch yourself thinking, oh God, yeah, I've absolutely done that. How might that have looked differently if I'd done that? So yeah, look, if nothing for the, the recency perspective, Hans Rosling, Factfulness, Cracking Book. Okay, okay. So if we was kind of, if I was to say to explain what you do to a, uh, well, yeah, explain what you do to a five-year-old, how would you explain that? I would like to say, and this is where we're going to get to, I help people do their jobs better because it could be in a multiple of different ways. But for me, for me, that's it. Like My purpose here is to help people do their jobs better simple as that and then all the things that happen on the back of that the business performance the employee satisfaction the engagement so on should come as a result but for me it's very much about making people be able to do their job better be able to do their job easier okay so how do we do that then so kind of going back into this kind of lnd space right now so how do we make people better at their jobs jack well the the first question we we ask is probably that why aren't people performing or why, why isn't performance where you expect it to be? And you know, this ends up in 
where we end up as, a, as an industry in so many conversations about, oh, should we be performance consultants? Should we be this? Should There's an element we probably just need to begin to be a bit curious and not take the, the first answer. And I always come back to, Andrew Jacobs wrote about shopkeeper versus engineer, and it's very much something I always come back to. When someone asks me for something within the business or is expecting me to be reactive, why are they asking me for that? What's sitting behind that? Why aren't people performing as expected? How do we know they're not? How do we know that they will be? So for me, there's a big thing in that, and that's where sort of that commercial mind comes in for me, having worked in a, uh, a sales company or you know, a sort of a, a small to medium company where I knew the cost of the coffee coming in. I knew how much our servers were costing per, per month to, to, to run, and I, I really knew the, the pounds and pence of how a business ran. So when you put me in front of someone or someone asks for something, I'm thinking, well, what is it we're trying to, what is it we're trying to move? How are you trying to move performance for your team up, down, left, right, whatever it might be? So that, that, that's the big thing for me. It's very much about performance, very much about performance, because that's what we get measured on. That's the expectations on us. Cool. Okay. So, so kind of, kind of bringing it back to you and, and kind of what you're doing right now, what's the biggest problem you're facing in, in your position at the moment? And, you know, I'm trying to kind of think, rather than it being a generic kind of, you know, business problem, actually, what's the problem? Yeah. What, what's the biggest problem what you're facing right now? In, in, and this can be in business or in career. Yeah. So, so look, the, I think the, I think the career side of it is a very interesting one. So I, I, I think I've mentioned this to, I forget if I've written these things down, if I've talked to people, if I've just had a conversation in my, my own head sometimes, but what, there's no sort of progression, obvious progression path if you want to get into to learning and development. So, you know, if you look at job specs, an L&D manager across eight different businesses means eight very different things. Whereas if you're a project manager going into a business or if you're an operations manager, you kind of know what that's going to, you kind of know what that's going to look like. So I think as a, as a career, the problem is we people end up maybe in a job for so because they just don't know what that next step is or actually where a role might sound like it's a lower level or lower responsibilities like roles actually it's a great opportunity it's doing more than what what you currently are so i think there's a an industry issue with with that and that's why we have to go and explore doing different things and why we end up looking at things like like you're um uh, involved in doing your human-centered design sort of user experience design actually having to, to get into those and looking at that as a, as a progression path from a personal perspective or sort of a, a where i am now perspective I think it's an experience and expectation imbalance or problem, however you, you, you want to call it. So there's for a long time, the business has, has run in a certain way. People come to L and D, L and D deliver training. And I'm very different to that. And we have some, I have some interesting conversations with stakeholders sometimes that have expected to come for one thing. And I've just asked them a load of questions and they go away with a, a list of things I need them to get answers to. So I think it, it's that it's about how you, switch to not just being this sort of stubborn consultant but also taking people on that journey Look, i know this is sort of what you expected for me to help you get the most out of this we just need to sit down and have a few questions we just need to work out what's going to be right for, for you and often what we find is it wasn't what they originally came in that was maybe just a presenting symptom it's what really sits it's what really sits behind so i think for me it's that whole mindset behavior change experience and expectation change and what i have to remember is not working for a small company anymore it, it, it is turning a big ship but it you, you get the you get the good feeling sometimes where when i first started people because i work out of our, our birmingham office people would come and say i need training on x 
And I said, well, what have you looked on on this platform? I discover, you know, all these all these areas they've got to, oh, well, I haven't. I just sort of come to, to you, Jack. Whereas now people bump into the corridor and say, Jack, I had a look on. I just kind of found this, this and this. How useful do you think it might be for this problem that I've got? So people are already having those different conversations with me and that's just purely down to persistence and doing it with a smile on my face and, and not doing it so that, that people feel as if they're being pushed off or pushed away. And I think that that's the important things about how you involve people in, in that process. So it's, it kind of, I, I was just thinking that it kind of, uh, there's a bigger question to this. And, and I think, yeah. I think the bigger question is kind of why should people get into L&D? And, and I guess maybe it's, a, you know, it's posing that question to you, Jack, kind of, well, you know, why should people get into L&D right this second? You know, there's, there's lots more of a cool industries to get into. Why, why, why do you think people should get into L&D? So it's it's a massive one, isn't it? Like it's, no, this probably ain't going to end up on a thirty second advert because it's going to end up a little bit longer than thirty seconds. But I think there's a, there's a few important things that that I recognise now. So you know, you you read all the reports about the future of work, the future of work, the future of the world, and robots, AI, fourth industrial revolution, and and the little line or the or the lines or the paragraphs that people don't read because they're a little bit further into those reports are people are going to be more important than ever. People are going to be more important than ever. They need a new skill set because they're not going to be doing that routine work. You know that 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 knowledge work, or that, the the inputs that we've done on computers now are just a modern version of the piecework they used to do in factories. You know, uh, back in that 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 sort of uh, that uh, the the industrial revolution back in the eighteen hundreds. And it's that it's that whole this this for me is at a time when we're going to technically reskill an entire population of people to have to operate in a different world. So that that's the that's the exciting thing for me. The challenge with that, people don't know what that needs to to look like. So we, you know, I will I will often talk to people about well, what does that future skill set for you need to look like? Oh, I don't know. It's probably about robots and automation. It's like well, that might be part of it. Um, so I think that's why I would get I would look at getting into it it now. I think I would also look at getting into it now because I think we're at that bit of a, a turn and that changing point, and I think you know we. We've spent years talking about here are the skills that L&D needs. You read towards maturity reports and for years, it's the same skills that are, are coming up every single time. And I, I, I get to that point where thinking, has anybody read these or done something with it or circled it and just gone, this would be nice to do. But I think there is, a, a again, it's the idea of a changing skill set for, for, for L&D. You're not likely to spend all of your time up in front of people talk, talking at them or taking them through things in a classroom you how are all these other ways that we can help and enable people to to learn so that that's where the exciting thing for me is and that that would be my advert for for anyone this is probably the most important time for, i'm gonna say the human race but goodness that makes me sound like i'm in control of the, power the whole the human race. I think you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely power to the people but yeah that, that that's it for me it, it's an exciting time for that reason so so kind of being playing the devil's advocate here so you kind of mentioned kind of you know you see these things in 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 the the reports and it's the same things over and over again so i guess the branching question of that is well if that's been up to lmd to do why are we still seeing these things over and over again and actually have we even done the job properly in the first place and i guess a follow-up question what i'm thinking about is what makes lmd unique to do this now you know there's there's other there's other industries that can do this there's google yeah there's kind of bad information and good information but i think there's like that with everywhere but kind of, if we're still addressing the same problem we were addressing four or five years ago, is L&D even needed, do you think? 
it, it'd be interesting to see what we do if we switched it off. That'd be that'd be a really cool experiment. I think like LD just downs tools for like three months and actually see what what happens. And what what we'd find on the back of that is actually what we should have been doing. So where the gaps and where the problems come to the top and where where we've probably been putting our our energy into the wrong place. So that that'd be an awesome experiment to do. Like no one would sign it off, but it would be an awesome experiment to do. Just turn the tap off for three months and see and see what happens, because then that would really bring to the surface what we should be doing. You're absolutely right, though. Do we just continue? Do we just continue talking? And I think people will. And I think there are people like, uh, you know, sorry, like, this is why I'm here. That, that, that's absolutely, so one of my main motivations for getting into L&D was I spent a lot of time as well at exhibitions when I worked on the sales side of things. And I would see people in this industry because they didn't care. I'm going to use that word care. I can't measure that. I, I don't know what they do truly care about. But you had this feeling that they were just sort of doing it because they were hidden in a corner somewhere and maybe close to retirement or earning a decent wage. If I can stop one person like that getting into the industry, we're going to be in a better place. So I think, you know, it starts with us as individuals. We can talk as groups and do it. But actually, are you modeling those, be- are you modeling those behaviors that you're talking about? I, I wrote uh, a post, I can't remember, it was sort of the start of, uh, the-, the start of 2019 about moaning about a, a company, your company or wherever you are not having a workplace learning culture but have you surveyed your own learning culture as a professional? So I think it's about my job if, if as, a, as a professional is to begin to shine that mirror on people, I think, and begin to challenge people and say, well, what are you doing about it? And there are people, again, like Andrew Jacobs, there's everyone in, in the, the Mindsheet group that are very much like that, open to challenge, open to challenging each other. So I think you're right. I, I don't know where we started with that that question, Danny. You've, you've just allowed me to, to ramble. I think there's a couple of answers in there, <laughs> for, <laughs> potentially. But I think I think for me, you're right. How do we know? How do we know if we're focused on the right things? We don't unless we stop and sort of be honest and reflect and use what might be there to um, support that. Because we just can't turn off the tap. It'd be wicked to try it, but yeah, no one's going to sign that off. So it's interesting you say how do you turn it off because that's literally the first question I say when someone talks to me about an LMS. I'm like turn it off mm. and, and watch how nobody screams because n- nobody's ever said, oh, I can't wait to get in-house and, and get on my work to LMS. Nobody's ever yeah, yeah, said yeah. that. Um, well, we I, do because we're L&D people. We, we love saying that kind of stuff, surely. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. So I, I think, I guess my take on this is kind of, um, I bounce back and forth with this one, Jack, because I think mm. L&D is valuable. Mm-hmm. I also think... If I had to cut fat out of business, L&D would be the first place I'd cut it. Well, you can't see so that why, why would you do that? Why, why, why would you cut them out? Because I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's why, what, I don't know why people always get so surprised when the rounds come around and, oh, L&D have got to lose a couple of heads again. Or, or actually, just get rid of the whole L&D team. What, what, why do you think that is? Why would you I cut think, it? I think L&D's got this knack of having a lot of fat to a team. And when I say yeah, fat, yeah. I, I don't mean it in like the in like a negative, but we end up having a lot of fluff. Um, yeah. And and sometimes you know, but, but unfortunately, when head counts do happen and we get caught, it tends to be the wrong ones that get caught in the end anyway. Um, but so the reason why I would say that, I honestly don't know how L and D have got this thing of, and I I I come across negative on this podcast for this reason because 
it provokes conversation. I, you know, for everything what I, what I say is bad about Alan Davis, there's lots of things what I love, probably equally if not more so. Um, but if you want your onboarding program, we we kind of think, oh, L and D are the best. You know, there's you got product designers, service designers in house who will design a better onboarding. Yeah, it's just how it is. Um, yeah, we talk about kind of oh. We need to market our content, comms and marketing. If comms and marketing mm-hmm. can figure out a way to talk across the table, it'd be interesting. I, I personally, I put a post out there a while back, um, probably last week I think it was, and it was saying, if I'm wrong, tell me. If I'm right, tell me. And it was interesting how many people, how many views it got, but how many no comments it got, because there's too yeah, many yeah. people who sent the People scared for the head up of the parapet. Massively, massively scared. And that's why, that's why I, I, I love, I'm, this isn't, blowing smoke because I'm honest but that's why I love the kind of thing that you're doing and you see you see other people talk about it. so they're just willing to sort of stand up and say is there a better way of doing it like doesn't mean we're not useful but is there a better way of doing it if if I if, if I'm with you if I was a chief executive of a company if I was having to look at um whatever parts of the business I could I'd be looking at the ones that don't return any value or don't have any impact on on the business so that's where my that commercial sort of head comes to the fore so if people come to me and 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 we would be we use the busy word everyone everyone's massively busy so what's going to make you go to the top of my list is if you're going to say to me i've got a problem here it's causing this impact on the business brother help me get to the root cause of the problem great let's pull the people together that are going to be able to do it and it's not lnd alone like that that's the big one as well lnd has to come today put its cape on and and fix it no like when project managers run things, they don't just do it all themselves. They get the right people into to do that as well. So I, 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 fundamentally, my other thing is the name of us learning and development. It sets an expectation about what we're going to do. That that's that's another thing as well. But we, it's so ensconced and so entrenched as a name. Are we going to change that anytime soon? Maybe not. But I, I, I'm with you. Like there's a that ruthless and cutthroat side of me. It says, yeah, I would cook myself out of a business if I wasn't the thing that was adding value to the bottom line or if I was having that impact you you wouldn't cook your products out of the business and keep your L&D team they're the things that make you money or the things that have a customer impact to them so it, it's it's how we know that how do we know the levers of the business to be valuable what does that look like and I can guarantee a lot of um, a lot of entity managers out there or whatever probably haven't even asked that question um, of their chief financial officer, they probably don't know how their company makes money, um, and ultimately, that's sort of what we're there for. When you work for a business, you're there to sort of support its goals, unless it's a charity and so on. But that's still about money to to go and support a specific cause. It might just be more ethical than working in a specific business. Sorry for the rant. That 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 you you got me onto a, a specific theme that I love talking about. <laughs> no, it, it's it's good, and I think you know fundamentally. There's nothing more I would love to do than create my own L&D team. But I tell you what, it wouldn't consist of many L&D people. It'd, it'd have a few in mm. there, like I think good mentors, good coaches in there, good history, good yeah, background. Yeah. Um, but it'd be modern background, not someone talking about mm. a book released 10 years ago. Um, no. So the, the reason why I say this is because I don't think we should rip it out. I think it just needs remastering. And I think... Yeah. Actually, what I am talking about more than ripping it out, I'm talking about the development journey of an L&D team needs to be focused mm-hmm. on this. It needs to be focused on what they're doing. You know, we talk about design thinking. That's not new to L&D. That's not new oh, to yeah. the business. Yet to L&D, it's like the next unicorn. 
and it's 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 interesting kind of that's how we do in L and D. And actually, you know, the reason why I've kind of stayed ahead of what I do and, and kind of is because I'm I'm looking at all these other things. And it's yeah. it's just a shame that and I I can't even turn around and say it's because LD is busy because realistically every business, like you said, every business, every person within that business and in that function is busy. But it'd be interesting to say to LD, create create the create a journey that'll put you mm-hmm. out of a business, out of a job. And it'd be interesting yeah. to see what would come up with that. It's, um, yeah, well you 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 think about Let's use Virgin Media as an example. We're always going to be bringing out new technology about how we make it easier for our customers. The people that are creating that technology are having to learn that a bit of them. They're creating a product that once it's there and it's out, that's their knowledge or the level of that. They're going to have to go on to do something else. So when we're doing that, they're already creating that kind of redundancy in there. They don't stop and go, well, that's sort of the level of what I can work at. So I'm going to have to find this same project with another company, which isn't going to, which isn't going to exist. I, I think going back to that busy thing, I think if anybody now listening to this, this podcast goes and speaks to whoever's in their team or other L and D teams, and they say they're busy, of course you're damn busy. Everyone's busy. What are you busy with? And what impact is it having? Why are you, why are you busy with that? So for instance, you know, we, we run things like aspiring manager programs. It was something we put into the business a couple of years ago because there was nothing to support people moving from um, sort of uh, on the floor or whatever in, into, a, into a management role. And my next step with that, looking at that is, how do we know it's been a su- success? Like, How do we know if people that have been onto that end up, quick, uh, end up more quickly into management roles or how many of them get promoted into to management roles? What does that mean in terms of how, how much we save from having to bring people from outside of the outside of the business and, and they're those kind of conversations like yeah of course you're busy what, what are you busy with though and why are you busy with it is probably an even more important question why are you busy with that is it because you're taking it on or because it's really going to have an impact on what the business does when those you know when those those conversations come around like if you read financial statements of companies i do that every quarter for for virgin media and liberty global because that's just me but you never see in there revenue rose because of blah blah, blah and a performance change that we made in the business it's always we sold more products or whatever but wouldn't that be great if it got to a point where you know a company is turning around in their financial statements and saying revenue went up three percent this month a due to increased spend from customers because of a specific performance training program that was put into place how good would that be that would that would be that whole actually that's just really making a difference Mm. Maybe I've just set maybe I've just set myself a massive goal at some point to get get L and D into a financial statement, but you, you, it might be out there, and I'd love someone to show me an example of it because that would be a, a sort of a ringing endorsement of what what I think we should be doing. Well, I think you need to go one layer down first, Jack, and that I think you need to go a bit like how you get your council tax. You know, you have a look at your council tax mm-hmm. and it says fifty percent of this went on, I don't know, fire service. Fifty percent of this went on, mm-hmm. you know. And actually, kind of once you start putting the percentages on and, and kind of saying 50% of this went on, you know, that's kind of X, 50% of this went on X. I mean, that's when you can start going, okay, well, that's leadership and that's this. And, and yeah, yeah. you start making it a bit more accountable. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but I guess kind of kind of moving on from this and, and talking about, obviously, you mentioned you read, I think, was it 52 or 53 books? <clears throat> 53, yeah, yeah. 53. I managed to squeeze another one in just before the end of last year. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. So, so what's, 
What's your biggest hack? And, and when I say hack, I mean like an 80-20 hack. So you mm. know what 80-20 is right, or do you want me to quickly go through it? Kind of. No, the, 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 the whole the whole Pareto's law thing. So what is that? What is that? Twenty percent. You do that actually counts for eighty percent of the the impact. Spot on. So so kind of yeah, this yeah. can be your personal or professional life again. But kind of what's what's your biggest? Um, yeah, eighty twenty. Yeah. So from from the reading one, so I can tell you what that was. It was learning to or getting the basics of speed reading. So that that was that was the first one for. Uh, that was the first one for me. But th- there's th- the other 80-20 that I have with that is that before I even read a book, I'll see how many pages are in a chapter, what that's going to mean, where I can fit that in, and try and plan that over the next sort of week or so. It only takes about five minutes to, to do, but that's that whole where am I going to get a chance to read it, what's my motivation to do it. Because if you put a 300-page book in front of me, like, no, thank you. But if you put a if you put 10 chapters of 30 pages, that that's another one as well. So mindset was a big one for me. Um, a big one for me with with that the other 80 20 hack and it's it was my last year it was like just say yes because that's where you're going to have your experiences so not say yes to absolutely everything because then that's where you end up busy but say yes to more things that was my 20 percent has had the 80 percent of impact yes i'll go and put that application in for the sponsored learning professional great doing that yes i'll take on the graduate development program uh, within Virgin Media. Great, I'm stood up on a stage emceeing one of the, the days. That would have never that would have never happened. Say yes to having the chief financial officer on one of your courses. You know, they're 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 they're, they're the kind of things. So I think just say yes is a, t- a eighty twenty hack for me. Okay, okay. So so kind of <clears throat> who's who's a free? No, let's do five. Who's the five people you recommend everybody should be following? <clears throat> Oh, I recommend everyone should be. Oh, you're going to make me do this now. So, one person I think people should definitely follow: Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, do you know? Do you know Gary yeah, Vaynerchuk? Yeah, yeah. The kind of stuff that he. Yeah, yeah. So Gary Vaynerchuk. I think more ju- just because he cuts through the the rubbish. Yes, he's a bit. Yeah, he's a bit blue. He's a bit sweary at times. If you can get through that, that's absolutely that's absolutely fine. But I think he. He cuts through a lot of the, the rubbish and the excuses that people go through. And you know, I'll, I'll go and have a quick look at one of his quotes and just go, "Yeah, I'm I'm doing exactly that. Let's just change the the mindset um, the mindset around uh, around that." You've got me having a look into my, my social now. You've got me you got me distracted. I end up trying to see who's mm-hmm. solving Coventry or something in the in the meantime. Andrew Jacobs, I think, is one because he he's gone into the habit now of posting uh, a small short. Um, uh, post every single day if you if you sign up to to his uh, if you sign up to his Twitter or or, or his LinkedIn, I think that's uh, always an interesting one. Uh, I think Suk Pabio because it's not just all one thing. Just reminds me that life isn't just the job that you're doing. And there are other things to to remember. I think that's a really interesting one. Um, I've uh, there my three nailed on ones. If I come up with the other two. I'll I'll jump in at some point as as we're going as we remember. I'd say follow me, but you're probably just going to get a load of retweets of either cats or, or Coventry City news mm-hmm. and the occasional about LND. So if that's your niche, me absolutely. <laughs> I feel like you've just <laughs> set your own little niche of of kind of yeah. I'm not I'm not even going where my my imagination went there. Um, so kind of <laughs> okay. Here's a question for you, and I want you to have a quick think about this one. Yeah. Do you even like yourself? 
Um, oh. No, because I think likes a, I think likes a bit of a, a a sort of, for me when you like something, are you are you really there? With there are times that I oscillate between loving myself and what I do, and that's not from a not from an egotistical perspective. That's how I have managed my self confidence um, in the past to being content. To being, do you know what? You did your best today. That you did, you turned up, you showed up, you did what you did. So no, I don't like myself. I oscillate between loving myself and being content with myself. Okay. Okay, so I guess this is kind of coming back to the social media and then kind of giving you a bit more time to think yeah. about it. But when it comes to social media, do you think do you think well it's two it's a two prong question really. Do you mm. think social media is a net positive or a net negative for society? And Mm-hmm. What's your take on L and D's presence on social media? Mm. So, I have sort of Gary Vaynerchuk's approach to this on on the impact of social. Like it only sort of shows up what you've been following or what you have been liking or what you've been. The algorithms are designed to show you more of what you've been following or liking or engaging with. So it's a net positive if you focus on looking at things that are net positive, it becomes a net negative where you're focusing on things or content or conversations, things that are net negative. So you, you choose who you follow, you choose who you connect with, you choose all the, these things, the majority of the time, yeah, of course, everything. So I think that's driven by us. I think a lot of people uh, will say, Oh God, isn't social media terrible? Well, only if you look at the terrible things and if you look at the, the, the bad things there. If you read Factfulness by Hans Rosling, he talks about no one ever, you know, you never see in the news um, meteorologist got weather report right today, but you only hear about when the most famous one, Michael Fish, got it completely wrong. Like, so you only, we, we're sort of hardwired to put those things out there anyway. So that would be sort of my thesis on that. LD's role? Nice role, but kind of like, what do you think its presence is in LD and and what and maybe it's kind of what you see from people within LD. So where where I've got the massive value from a professional perspective is that ability to connect with a lot of people that are all over the place. So maybe in the past people will have had to work on local networks or go to like a CIPD branch meeting. And and look the fact that we're having these conversations, the fact that um we can have conversations with people all over over the world, I think is a is a great thing from like a professional development perspective leveraging it i don't know I, I don't do enough with it i bet there are people out there doing doing some fantastic things with it i think if you look at um david bedlow so I, I, i'll just do a quick look at where he is on twitter i must have a lot of davids Yes, yeah, so M-A-B underscore D Bedlow. So he's a head of learning development at the Mortgage Advice Bureau. And they do a lot around how they use theirs to promote um, promote learning internally. I think they've got sort of back channels that they are, that they operate with as well. But again, if you look at, I think a lot of their people that are involved in L&D, they all have at M-A-B underscore at the start of what they do. So they have this sort of presence that people are used to begin to see again because they're probably all across the, the country. Um uh, I'm trying to think who else did something. I think University of Manchester for a while did, did something along those lines. I followed like University of Manchester personal development for a while to see what they were doing 
with it. So look, there, there might be some other great examples. And what, what I'd love is if people on the back of this say, yeah, actually, look, these are the kind of things that we're, we're doing with it. I, that's what people spend a lot of time on. Are we leveraging it enough in a certain way? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Okay. So kind of going a bit full circle now and kind of coming to the end of it, Jack. But, you know, we're kind of like, we're the first people to say, you know, we never stop growing and we never stop kind of, you know, developing. So if I was to say, ask you that question again now, like where you are now, Jack, what do you want to be when you grow older? What would you say? Happy in whatever I'm doing. So I am not even going to try and predict the future because that is quite a difficult thing. I just want to be happy, whatever that looks like. And I still haven't decided what happiness looks like yet. So that's my, that's my answer. If it's a real answer. <laughs> okay. No, so it's as real as, as, as it is to you, you know, that's kind of a thing, right? Mm. It's about what, what you want to be and not nobody else. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess kind of at the start of the show, um, we asked you about, you know, we asked you for four numbers. So your mm-hmm. numbers are tallied to a random list of items on my on my phone. And your items are a candle, a mm-hmm. let me have a look. So we had we had a little candle. Then you had some toothpaste. No. Some deodorant. And the last one was a sponge. Very kind of, very select <laughs> items, actually. But you're on a desert island, Jack. What are you doing with these these things other than kind of staying, you know, fresh? What, what are you doing with them? So I would use the deodorant and the candle to start a fire. So I'd fire that deodorant through the, the candle. Don't, don't ask me how it's going to be lit because I've sorted that one out. It's probably from the sun or something. Um, so yeah, let, let's not, let's not unravel that one too much. Um, toothpaste would be, I think that'd be my, I think that'd be my food. That would have to be. And a sponge. How big's a sponge? Um, your standard sponge. What's in uh, the shower maybe? Uh, nice try. Nice try. I like that. Yeah. I was going to sort of, maybe I was going to sort of float away on the, 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 the sponge or something like that. Um, I think that'd have to be my little mate. Or maybe I'm ripping off Castaway a little bit here, but I think that would end up being my mate. You had SpongeBob SquarePants, so that's probably the closest I'm going to get to to having a bit of bit of friendship on the island. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, Jack, where can people keep up to date with what you're kind of what you're up to and what what you're kind of working on? Yeah, so LinkedIn um, is once just search for 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 Jack Lockhart um, on there across. Um, Instagram, across Twitter, and across I think I've got I've, I've ended up with two Facebook profiles, like a personal one and like a professional page. But you'll find me at any of them slash Jack A Lockhart. Um, and also because I threw myself in the deep end with this, I think after a drink after Christmas, JackLockhart.co.uk. So that's where I, I sort of blog from semi regularly. I'm hoping to get that up to a little bit more regularly, and then that ends up posting out of there. That that that's the best place to get me. If you ever see me in real life, just tap me on the shoulder and have a conversation. That's absolutely what I love to do. Awesome. I love it. Jack, thanks for coming on the show. No, thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Enjoy the evening, Jack. And you. Cheers. Bye-bye.